0: got some questions. Got it go.
1: You're feeling stressed, man? Got it go. Use GPS speed. Got it go. Turn you try something to split and download and listen to Tia Katy Chris and Kirsten. You should got it go. go dig a hole! Welcome back to the Go Dig a Hole podcast. It's been a few weeks since our last new episode, so we wanted to start this one off with a very important message. All of us at Go Dig a Hole are committed to anti-racism and supporting the Black Lives Matter movement. We also condemn the long history of acts of police brutality against communities of color in the United States. We hope our listeners also join us in remaining committed to doing more and doing better. This statement alone doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of building power for an anti-racist movement, but we hope it can serve as the start to more meaningful dialogues of racial disparities in archeology span and in our broader society. For more info on the work Black archaeologists are doing, check out the Society for Black Archaeologists. A link to the organization's page is in the show notes for any podcast player you're listening on. You can also check out the Black and Highly Dangerous podcast, the Ark and Anth podcast, and episode 17 of the go dig a hole podcast for podcast episodes highlighting the work of black archaeologists once again links to all those episodes are in the show notes for today's episode we have a special guest joining us from chicago's field museum The COVID-19 pandemic has created interrelated crises in public health and economic stress that has rippled through virtually every aspect of our lives. Decades of austerity cuts and political pressure against funding for humanities programs have left many heritage workers in precarious positions. Chicago's Field Museum has a staff of under 500 workers who have felt this pressure. And in response to the COVID-19 crisis, management and workers have struggled to find a solution that is equitable for the staff moving forward. Okay, uh, so we have Jackie Poza here with us. Um, I'm Chris Sims, I should probably change my name on here. It doesn't really matter, we're not gonna post the video. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's my work Zoom account. Uh, and Tia Cody's with us today too. Um, Hello. Let's see, Katie Tipton is finishing up her master's thesis. She successfully defended last week, so congrats to her. Mm-hmm. She's Almost past the finish line with uh, edits and all that. Um, yes. And Kirsten Lopez, I think the cat is out of the bag by now. Uh, she had COVID nineteen. She was she oh. tested positive. She was down for the count for about six weeks, um, and now wow. she's healthy again. Um, and I I got to see her uh, last week, and she's you know healthy and can see people again. Good. But um, boy, it sounds like it was miserable.
0: Yeah, it sounds awful.
1: (laughs) But Jackie, could you give us a background on what's been going on at the Field Museum and the situation that the workers are facing there?
2: Sure, so um, I am a registrar in the exhibitions department and if you don't know what a registrar does, we're kind of behind the scenes. We take care of the items coming off on and off display. So I'm part of the uh, exhibitions department but the museum has been closed since about um, St. Patty's Day this year. And we've been close to staff and public, um, just kind of a bare bones security staff and some, uh, a couple of other folks have been at the museum um, at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, since then, most of us have been working from home. Uh, those of us who couldn't work from home were being paid, but then uh, at some point were asked to start using their vacation time to cover their wages. And not only their existing vacation time, but they could also go in the hole for their using vacation time. So using up their vacation time this year and next year. Um, And then at at some point, um, the staff came together, asked uh, if we could donate some of our vacation time to those folks. Uh, So we collectively donated over $200,000 worth of vacation time for those people but uh within the past month a lot of those people have had to go back to work um they were pretty much uh forced back to work so the people at the museum now building stuff doing stuff um staff have sewed masks for one another so they have they they have given each other masks there's some masks around the museum there's not a lot of ppe um and they've come up with protocols to try to keep each other safe like how they're gonna act at like lunchtime how that collectively agreed they're all wearing masks, um, stuff like that. So staff have really come together during this pandemic. And then um, last month at a town hall, our uh, president had announced that they were considering layoffs and pay cuts and furloughs. And at that time, um, at, at the time of that town hall is when uh, we had asked the president, you know, can we can staff come to the table? Are there things that we can come up with? I mean we're a creative bunch like are there things that we could come up with that um, instead of layoffs like can we rotate furloughs? can people volunteer uh, a pay cut for those who make more and um all those were all those were denied, and staff was like, "We'll let you know um what happens like what we decide as administration so that pretty much ca- catches you up onto. The, Onto what has happened to lead us up to all this?
1: Wow. Uh, so, what's the current status of the, um, you know, the the reopening stage? Uh, is the museum taking guests from the public? Um, you know, and you kind of like what what's open in Chicago right now?
2: Not. We're we have this very confusing phase system that I don't know if anyone really knows how it works. <laughs> um, they're. There are some like outdoor patios that are open. For the most part, parks are not open, the lakeshore is not open, and museums are not open. I know some museums across the country, a few are open, um, we are not. And the whether or not we are going to be open anytime soon is still not something that's really been transparent with us. We've heard July, we've heard August, um, but so far still closed. I don't think any museum in the city is open um, yet because of the of the requirements from the state and the city. So we're on par with everybody else, but I haven't heard any opening dates from anybody right now. Gotcha.
1: Yeah, it sounds about like it is here. We were mm-hmm. supposed to reopen uh, in Portland on Friday, and then the... Um, I can never remember the name of the agency, but the basically the state public health agency um said, you know, we're still tracking it, you know, a, a 15% increase in in new cases day to day. so we've not flattened the curve and uh doesn't look like we will. And other counties in Oregon have, you know, basically, whether they've officially reopened, uh, I think they've kind of de facto reopened. It looks like there's kind of like a just a total rejection of the, uh, the lockdown in some places. Um, so it, it, that kind of, I mentioned that just because it, um, I think it kind of underscores the, the, the context of the situation. And so we have, you know, a pandemic and, a, an economic crisis that are very much interrelated and, it, you know, it's creating Uh, an economic crisis for workers and, you know, businesses of basically every sector. It's also creating, you know, a public health crisis that's, you know, making dangerous conditions for workers. Um, So it's good to hear that, you know, that um, some efforts have been made to provide PPE for the museum workers. But, um, you know, it's also disheartening to hear that there's also still not enough PPE out there.
2: Yeah, and, you know, when the pandemic first started, the museum really came together. We donated a lot of PPE to frontline workers, and um, uh, two folks in our conservation team really took the lead in 3D printing uh, face masks, and were able to provide some of those face masks to not only workers here in Chicago, but also um, to some um to some frontline workers on Native American reservations, like the Navajo Reservation, that's been hit especially hard um, from the COVID nineteen crisis. So we were able to do um, some of that work just at the museum. That's amazing. Wow. Something that struck me, but with what you said, is that
0: you know it sounds like, as you keep mentioning, your staff is in, like incredibly. Uh, has a lot of ingenuity, like banding mm-hmm. together, trying to come up with creative solutions. Mm-hmm. And it's both surprising, but not surprising at the same time to come to management and be like, we get where you're at, but like, let's all come together to have creative solutions mm-hmm. and to see management be like, hmm Like yeah, it can be. It's surprising, and I but I've seen it across the board that Mm -hmm. workers are trying to be like, we can do this better, and that management's are, are not. They're dragging their feet, and they're not really wanting to like team up with their own workers who they they work with.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's surprising too because we had. In these early meetings, they were like, Yeah, come up, come with to us with ideas. Like, we, like, if you have ideas to save us money, by all means, please let us know. And we're like, Okay, cool. We have a chance. Like, we can, we can, we can, we can save our jobs by coming up with these ideas. And I think that's really where our petition started uh, with um, a small group of workers. So, after that town hall, uh, some things that were said during the town hall, like, really kind of upset staff. Like, uh, we had we had asked, like, well, you know, what does administration think about taking higher pay cuts? Because at the time, everyone from twenty dollars an hour to six hundred thousand dollars a year, everyone was going to take a ten percent pay cut. And we had asked, like, well, what do we think about graduated pay cuts? Like, what like what about all these other options? And uh, the president had said, well, if I took if I took a bigger pay cut, that would just be an empty gesture. Like I've seen it, it's just an empty gesture. And really that doesn't, I mean really, that really upsets staff when it's like, you know, if you take a pay cut to save my job, like that's not an empty gesture, like that's yeah. my livelihood. Um, so that was really upsetting to staff. And at this point, um, they're like so talking about the COVID crisis and how this is impacting like the museum and cultural institution field, there's been a crowdsource um, document that's been uh, sourced by museum workers that has been listing the institution and, and what's happening there. So by going through this this huge document and seeing all these institutions and their responses, we knew that our executive team was not on par with others where executives were taking, Twenty percent, sixty percent pay cuts. Um, so that's why we we had asked for more graduated pay cuts because we know we knew our peer institutions were doing that as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's shocking to s- ha- to hear that someone. Is, I guess not shocking because really um, at this point anymore, nothing should shock. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. But the, to he, yeah, to hear management say that it's, it's an empty gesture that, you know, to someone, as you said, who's making $20 an hour, like a 10% pay cut is like, yeah, I now have to like start questioning like what goes, yeah. like what do I stop paying for, what tasks mm-hmm. to go to the wayside, what, you know, and then to have someone at $600,000 a year get a 10% is like, honest, it's like Trump change kind of. So it's just, (laughs) but you, as I've, as you know, you're saying you're seeing your institutions and it's great to hear that there's a list out there that you can start to compare and be like, no, like, like, look, this is something out there. But yeah, as I, as I think we've all mentioned, seeing all these management people, like not step up and not hear Mm -hmm. and not recognize that like, we all get you're in a difficult position in a difficult time, Mm -hmm. but we're all wanting to come together to fix it and yeah it's absolutely it's hard mm-hmm.
1: yeah so jackie you mentioned that um kind of this this all kicked off with a town hall and that you've drawn a lot of um kind of roadmaps for how to organize from this shared uh like crowdsource document um mm-hmm. could you kind of a uh, explain what the organizing tactics have been and the communication strategies on like how you've been able to organize workers and kind of get this petition around to management?
2: Sure, so I mean, really it started off with that meeting and talking to coworkers and people being really upset. And uh, a group of us decided, let's just come together, let's talk, like what do what what can we do? Like, it, is there something we could propose? I mean, they asked us, you know, if you have ideas come to us with it. So we kind of, um, had a small, just like venting session of like, this is how we're feeling. These are the issues we're facing right now. These are the issues we've been facing. And with that, we decided, you know what, let's make a petition. Let's have staff sign it. And let's, let's come up with some core like demands, I guess that we would like, um, administration to, to address. So we came up with four of them. So one of them was just to stop the layoffs right now and let's start coming up with creative solutions. We talked about rotating furloughs. We talked about voluntary pay cuts. There are a lot of solutions that we can come up with. Um, our second demand was that if there were going to be layoffs, that we don't want them to disproportionately harm our coworkers of color. Because that's what we were seeing in other institutions. Our institution is not diverse uh we have a lot of our frontline staff our folks of color a lot of the higher ups not so many folks of color um so we want to make sure that if all the frontline staff are getting laid off well that's disproportionately pr- harming our coworkers of color especially right now with um all the news and like the the national attention on the inequities we want to make sure we're protecting those folks and the museum came out with a statement um supporting black lives matters so really we're we're with you. Like we want you to uphold your commitment to um, that statement. And then the other two we asked for were just transparency in the process because we had no idea what was going on. We still don't. No transparency. It's like, yeah, after we do it, we'll let you know. And it's still not very transparent. And then lastly, we, we called on our higher executives to ask, you know, can you take a bigger pay cut? Here's what the Boston um, Museum of Science is doing. Here's what the American Museum of Natural History is doing. These these are peer institutions, and they are, you know, they're helping to shoulder the financial burden. It's not just people at the bottom, pe- frontline staff. Um, I mean, everyone is needed at the museum to make our mission go, and really, we all should share the load that is equitable and not just, well, it's equal that everyone takes 10% cut. Well, not really. It, like you said, if you're making $20 an hour, it's a huge, it's a huge impact. So that's where we started is coming together, talking to one another about what this looks like. And then we had this petition, we workshopped it a lot. Um, and really the, the thing that kept us going, the thing that kept us organized is we, uh, reached out to and have been kind of um, guided by uh, the Emergency Workplace Organizing Committee. And that committee is a partnership between the Democratic Socialists of America and um, the um, United Electrical Radio and Machine Workers, UE. So the two of them uh, paired up to make this uh, EWOC committee. And through EWOC, they have a group of volunteer uh, labor organizers, uh, media folks, communication folks, and they're helping people come together at their workplaces to ask for things during time of COVID. So, like, they helped Taco Bell and Jimmy John workers ask for, um, you know, sick leave, things like that, where it's like, this is really dire. We absolutely need this right now. Um, So they've been helping workers with that. So we paired up with them, and we've had um, one of their reps really – just kind of guiding us, like not, not, not like directing us, but kind of guide, listening to us and saying, Okay, well, let's put this petition together. And this is how we can do it. And this is what we can, you know, ask people and, and this is how we can follow up on that. Um, so that's, that's where we started was with this petition. And in the petition, we use Action Network. And in that petition, you can ask folks like, Do you want to get more involved? Um, we put it out to both to field museum staff and the general public and there's a way to indicate on the form like are you staff are you a museum professional are you a donor and by collecting that information it makes our petition stronger because we can say um so right now we have almost 2,000 signatures um, on the petition and over half of the non-management staff have signed this so we have a huge amount of staff supporting it a huge amount of Um, professional uh, org um, backing and our community backing so that's kind of how how we have approached this and now um, so since the petition we delivered it last Sunday uh, to administration administration was like thanks we'll let you know when the layoffs happen Uh, and so that was great And so now after that, we're thinking, okay, well, where do we go from here? And we have, you know, a town hall tomorrow morning and we are just trying to come together. Now, like now we have a list of folks who, who are interested in, in organizing (laughs) with us in, in advocating for staff, really we're advocating for our coworkers. So now, um, I just got off a call with uh my coworkers to think about like where do we go from here and and how do we what questions should we ask during the town hall tomorrow like what how how can we show staff uh administration that like no we like we're not cool with 20% of our workforce laid off jot hiring freezes furloughed. like that's not we're not cool with it
1: what are some of the hopeful um like steps for where you want to go next like what what are some hopeful short-term solutions besides you know uh preventing a 20 percent staff reduction
2: so some of our staff unfortunately were laid off last week but it was overall less than we thought uh so that's a mini victory uh even though we don't want anybody laid off and really looking through the museum's um Public financial data, like you can look at the nine ninety tax forms for any nonprofit. So that's where we started with a lot of this: is to look and say, "Hey, you have uh, one hundred and twenty million in reserves, one hundred and twenty million of revenue last year. Can we use that for our thirty million dollars of salary that we need?" Um, and really understanding the finances behind it was a way for us to to put to bed or to at least question some of these um, kind of blow off answers where it's like, well, we're, we're really struggling financially. And it's like, well, your 990 says otherwise. Um, So I think going through that and sharing that information with staff and being like, you know, this is how much the president makes. This is how much um, we have in the endowment. This is how much we made in revenue last year. People really start realizing how, how, inequitable it is just how um how kind of unfair it is that a one dollar pay cut so 16 to 20 dollars an hour those folks are getting a dollar pay cut so that person is losing a dollar an hour and yet there's 120 million dollars in the endowment, like we can't tap into that at all. So I think that's one silver lining is that just folks understanding that, oh wow, like this really isn't fair. And it's something that like we, we could come together and find other solutions. And to have, you know, 2000 people backing this petition and, you know, half of the staff who are scared, a lot of folks had talked about it and they were like, you know. Can I sign this? Am I gonna get fired? Especially right now, we're doing layoffs. Am I gonna get fired if I sign this? And there are, there are laws to protect folks, even it, just signing petition, it, it's, it's not just unionizing. If you're, if you're coming together as coworkers and talking about uh, your salary uh, inequity at your workplace, you're protected to do that. You are allowed to do that. Um, so I think now folks realizing that, oh, I'm protected to do something like this. I think I think people are are getting to a point where they, they see that they have some power in the workplace and they don't have to be so scared that they're going to lose their job. So um, that's been really that's been really exciting to me, just seeing the solidarity in our workplace and you know seeing what folks are doing at other museums. The Philadelphia Museum of Art has unionized, and numerous other museums have have unionized lately. So I mean, there there's potential out there for workers to have a say. Um, in their workplace, whatever that looks like. If it's a petition, if it's a union, or if it's just folks coming together and, and sharing their salary, like there, there's power there. And, that, and that's, that's pretty exciting for our field, I think.
1: Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, you mentioned about the endowment. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. curious uh, if the COVID-19 crisis has impacted the museum's funding
2: so as, far as fun, so as far as our financials go right now, um, so we get about, um, I wanna say 14% of our revenue comes from admissions. And um, I think about 3% come from special events. And that's just numbers we got from the 990. So that's what we're reading from our, from our 2018, unfortunately we don't have 2019, um, 990 to kinda understand the financial situation. And again, if we had more transparency, and it that was different, that'd be fantastic. But um, <laughs> that's just kind of what we're understanding from the information we have. So obviously, that those funds have um, dipped. The stock market dipped for a while. So as far as the endowment, you know that that probably took a hit right away at the beginning. But now the stock market is recovering thanks to that. Um, Treasury Department uh, influence. Uh, so the stock market is doing pretty fine. Um, but uh, so as far as the endowment goes, I think it's I think it's fine now. Um, and but there's that um, admission shortfall that we have. We did get one of the PPP loans, so that covered three months. Like that covered one quarter of staff salary. So really, that's been covered already. Um, and as far as, like, beyond that, like, we had asked, like, can, if you're making these layoffs and pay cuts because of financial needs, can you just share with us the finances so we know why? Like, why are we, you know, they say we're down $20 million of revenue. Okay, well, what does that mean, though? Does that mean that $20 million was going to pay our salaries? Does that mean the $20 million was going to go to the endowment? Where what does this mean? And can can't you just be more transparent with staff? Yeah. Because I mean, no everybody know like we're in a hard situation, and we saw our colleagues at the Adler get devastated by layoffs. But then looking through the finances of us, the finances of the Adler, we had $120 million in revenue over the past, you know, four years. And over the same amount of time, the Adler had lost five million. So I understand that everybody is in this bad situation and that layoffs are happening, but are we doing layoffs for financial needs? Or are we doing layoffs to take advantage of the moment? Cause everybody's doing layoffs. I think yeah. it mm-hmm. needs to be, I don't think we shall get on the layoff party and just start laying off workers because it's the thing to do right now. It really okay. should be a, like taken very, very seriously.
0: Yeah. It sounds like also one of like a successful part of your organizing tactic was arming yourself to the teeth with information and knowledge and seeking out others who can help on bits that maybe the staff wasn't quite aware of. Like, we don't, we know we need to learn this stuff, but there's some other things that could help. And it sounds like your staff really reached out to anyone and any, everything that could like help get them the knowledge to be able to
2: refute based on facts. Would you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. And having like Ewok next to us to be like, let's start with a 990. I'm like, oh, there's a 990. Oh, this is interesting. <laughs> Look at <laughs> all the stuff it says. Uh, but yeah, before that, I mean, I I didn't know how to like read one of those. Like I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know a lot of this because, you know, we're all busy mm-hmm. and none of us are, are, well, some of us are accountants, but not all of us are accountants. So like, how do we go about getting the information we need and having um, Ewok come in and, and just sit with us and talk with us. And, and, you know, I feel like a lot of times our field is told, like, you're not, you're not worth that much. Like we, you're told it beginning in undergrad, like, Oh, you want to be an archeologist? Good luck. Enjoy, enjoy working at the bar. And, you know, it, it's, such a bummer to be for your entire career, be like, you're not worth it. You're not worth it. You're not Mm -hmm. worth it. You're not worth a a living wage. And then you get here and you know, you have, you have super wealthy people on the board. You have a president making $600,000, $700,000. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought you said there wasn't any money. Hold on. Like, I like, why, why aren't we worth it? And that's a mentality that's really hard to break. And just to get people to look at the numbers and be like, look, you guys, like we could be getting paid, like you don't have to be making $15 an hour in Chicago. You don't have to be living paycheck to paycheck. Like there are things here we could do. And I think it's just getting over that, that mentality that we've just been fed our entire careers. like, you're not worth a living wage. Yeah, we are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And to be thankful that you even have a job and so that you end up not fighting because you're like, well, I mean, where else am
2: I going to go? Right. Especially right now, like so many people are getting laid off and it's like, well, I can't say anything. Like I'm going to get laid off and where am I going to go? And it's such, it's so sad to, I mean, yeah, we're doing what we love, but I mean, we shouldn't be we shouldn't have to be living paycheck to paycheck to do what we love when there's, there's money there. Like we can, we can be making a living wage. So yeah, you're right. Information and just, and just trying to, to coax people away from that um, messaging that they've had for years and years and years, like, Nope, you're replaceable and you're supposed to be making $15 an hour. It's like, no, no, like we can do this. You deserve it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's also small amount it. of therapy going on is well. like, yeah, you know what like you worth it you are <laughs> worthy
2: <You're laughs> worth it. sometimes these meetings of our like our little like uh group it's half the meeting is is everyone okay can yeah. we keep going and you're like yeah we got it like we're like we have there's so many staff members behind us there's so many staff members that are like they're like hey thank you I've been wanting to do that forever but I, I was too scared to start or like I didn't know I didn't know where to start and now there's this group doing it um, I only see it growing, so it, it is it is really exciting. and all you need to do is just start just sit down and and look at the look at whatever information you can. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the benefit of being a, a a nonprofit, so we can look at that. If you're at a, a for profit, that's going to be a little bit harder. but yeah. um, just trying to get as much information as you can in holding those therapy sessions.
1: (laughs) You deserve to be happy. You
2: deserve to be happy. You're worth it, come on. Sometimes alcohol helps too, so. Yeah. Yeah, happy hour (laughs) discussions.
1: We've been having a lot of those too. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um, So Jackie, you mentioned the Action Network petition. And I didn't realize that it was open to the public, so not just field museum staff, but also the the general public can sign that petition. Absolutely. Right?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
1: So, besides uh, passing that around and pushing for signatures on it, are there other ways that um, other workers outside the field museum can show solidarity with this organizing effort?
2: Yeah, I mean, if you know folks who work at the museum, just reaching out to them and checking in with them and being like, hey, I heard what's going on. And that's awful. But you know, did you know this group is is still going and like, I signed the petition in support of you and like, and you know, like, don't be scared to, to ask, like, really, you're just asking, we're just asking administration for better working conditions. Um, so definitely encouraging any folks there. Um, if you could sign the petition, that'd be wonderful. We're still taking, um, we're still taking signatures because this is a public institution. This, we hold the history of the world in our, you know, in the museum. We work with communities, um, indigenous communities around the world. Um, we teach, everyone from babies to 99 year olds, 100 year olds. Uh, so really, this is an institution for everybody. So making your voice heard and you know, calling on the Field Museum, hey, you know this institution means something to me. Can you, and, and the workers there make the institution. And just supporting, amplifying our voices that way would be fantastic. Also, if you have some um, very powerful Field Museum board member friends, if you could give them a call, that'd be very cool.
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't know any board members.
2: Oh man. <laughs> what <wish> you <I> did. <laughs> I'll reach into
0: my board member Rolodex.
2: And- okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you.
1: You never know. I mean, you never you know never who know. listens to the podcast too. Right? It's very
2: true, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But any any support that way or, you know, in and I think it's it's just something that if the more that our field starts asking for for just just fair wages and fair work conditions if it's happening at one museum it'll help the next museum and it'll help the next museum I mean seeing the other museums are unionizing and then here we just have our little petition it's like yeah look at we just have a petition like we can do this (laughs) like that's just that's like you know small fry um but like if you if you can if you can improve the work Place conditions at your work, or if you can bring your workers together, and I mean, for whatever reason, um, it it helps everybody. So if you're struggling at work, and uh, especially right now, if you're if you're lacking PPE, if you're if you're you know not getting sick pay, by organizing, you're helping people outside the wall of your walls because that's becoming the standard in the in the industry. Mm-hmm. So um, highly encourage people if you are if you really are struggling at work, um, to reach out to the EWOC committee or um, you know, other museum unions, or um, uh, you can even uh, you know, email the um, Democratic Socialists of America as a labor organizing committee and there are chapters across the country. So just reaching out to folks and, and asking, you know, um, how, can, how can we organize here? It's helping beyond the walls of your institution. Absolutely.
1: Nice. And we're we're joined by Kirsten Lopez.
3: Hello. Hi. Uh,
1: uh,
3: the late start and uh I had an alarm set for, for start time and that didn't work I so well. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we understand. So it, alarms it are happened. tricksy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I shut my alarm off this morning and um oh, I, I shut it off last night. 'Cause I was like, oh I'll probably wake up in time. And then like I woke up at like maybe like eight o'clock and it was one of those wake ups where like I jolted out of bed and I was like shit I'm gonna miss the podcast <laughs> throw the covers <laughs>
2: yeah. I hate that wake up you feel so it's too much of a rush of anxiety like I can't start my day like that
0: yeah <laughs> then you just lay back down and you're like just a small amount of, like PTSD just like <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's
2: fine I have time
0: yeah <laughs> um I, I know I kind of like keep harping on this a bit, but just I've seen it in um, I work for a federal federal agency and although I'm I'm very proud with how my federal agency has been like really trying um, mm-hmm. that there have been moments across the agency, not just in the cultural resources and our environment group where seeing upper management um, struggle with taking the lead um, yeah being scared about making decisions that um, might be outside the norm or saying something like this is what we're gonna do and being scared to say it because it could change down the line and mm-hmm. that it's been kind of eye-opening to see that there might need to be different kinds of management trainings on like things are going to change and your workers are going to understand you have to understand you're like Usually you employ adults and these adults kind of understand things and that doing things and being active and proactive in your workforce Mm -hmm. is something. And are you seeing that too, that your management is kind of scared to, you know, move in a direction, even if it's like small things to be helpful and give people at least a little security of like, okay, at least I, I know that management's behind me.
2: Yeah, and um, thanks for asking this because this week we had a meeting with our director and, I mean, it, I mean, no one wants to make hard decisions like this. Like, if there really honestly has to be layoffs, like, there's there's no reason, like, it's a last resort, we have to lay people off, that decision sucks. And, like, I don't envy those people. But we, we had a meeting this week with our director and just to see him really genuinely talk to us like adults and be honest and be transparent. It was so welcoming. And, you know, he was saying, you know, this is what I could, I don't know what's happening about me. I I don't know what's happening with the executive team. Again, transparency would be nice. (laughs) Um, He's like, I don't know. I can't answer some of your questions. I'll answer what I can. But what he was able to do was move people around different pots of money, cause there's all this different, you know, these funds and things. So he was able to sit and look at his budget and work as best as he can mm-hmm. to not lay anybody off. So we have layoffs coming, but he was able to buy us three months. And by him really genuinely telling us this and being like, you know, I sat down and I looked at everything and I, you know, like I obviously don't wanna lay anybody off. So this is what I came up with this. I could, I could buy us three months. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe people, you know, maybe we can't hire in certain areas, you know, but he was able to keep our jobs for three months. And to hear that was like, wow, like this person's on my side. Like, this is really mm-hmm. it, like, it kind of sunk in. That's like, this is amazing that this person really, really is trying. They have an incredible amount of pressure to, you know, make cuts, make, you know, we got to, we got to trim the fat. We absolutely need to make cuts. And then for him to be like, everyone's job. You know, like, there will be layoffs in three months, but I got you three months. And he was saying, you know, I know who's going to go in three months. HR, you know, right now won't let me tell you that uh, who's going in three months, but I'm going to try to fight for that so that I can tell you so that you have three months to find a new job or just know, you know, uh, instead of the week before or the Friday of being like, well, here's your box, bye. Um, So you can see it, like, he really, like, he was emotional telling people like how hard it was and how much stress he had. And I'm sure that decision isn't easy when maybe another department, that director had to cut people. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know how it worked in other departments. Um, but to see him really standing with us was awesome. That was really cool. And, you know, I don't know if the staff signing this petition helped with that, I'll take credit. I'll say, yeah, yeah, it. So did. Um, <laughs> um, but it's nice to know that there are people, there are managers that do want you to be happy at your job. They do want you yeah. to have a li- livelihood and, and they are willing to try. So yeah, I, I don't think it's something that every department was able to do. Like you said, like him being able to, you know, push his layoffs for three months. I think, you know, by being able to do that, maybe some other departments were upset about it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure. But you're right, like as a as a manager, like sticking your neck out and being like, well, I'm gonna try to do this. it's going to be mad at me. I mean, their jobs are online too. Yeah. So yeah, I've yeah, okay. definitely
0: been seeing like um like lower management really starting to like grow into their own. I've been seeing across like different agency. And then it's like as you get higher up in those structures, you start to see like less and less like surety and they 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 become really shaky and it's kind of they're like (laughs) and you're like how is it that like and and maybe it's because like (laughs) they they get start to get more distant from the everyday, but you're like how is it that like my lower lever manager is like stepping up and as you said like with your director like taking on this ownership and being like I'm doing the hard work to show you guys I'm here for you and then as you get higher up it's like
2: how do you get into that higher position and not be able to like? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. And you know, I think a part of it in our field too is like the people who are the supervisor of supervisors might have been an archeologist or like an anthropologist. And as far as my graduate school training, I did not get management training. There were no oh, management yeah. classes, there were no budgeting classes. <laughs> nope. I didn't get any of that. So like I feel for these people where you're like, I don't know how to, like I don't know how to do layoffs. Like I don't know how to do this. Like I have training in design or I have training in whatever. And and we're just not equipped with that. With like how do I manage folks? Like how do I how do I deal with financial crises? Like if there are gonna be layoffs, like how do I how do I help staff get through that? Because it's not only the staff who are leaving, it's the staff who are staying. Yeah. It's rough. And so like I just I I don't know what it looks like, but you're right. It would be nice for like management to have more resources for them, especially as they get further and further up to like keep them tied to reality of like, this is how people are living, you know, like people are living paycheck to paycheck on the bottom. And like, you still need to be able to relate to those folks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Those are all really good points. And I, I think that, that, um, those are things that people in other related fields in cultural heritage could really learn from. You know, the transparency, the clear communication, um, and something you said earlier on about just fighting for what you deserve. You know, a living wage, um, better working conditions, um, and just some security in where you are. Um, you know, we're we archaeologists. We on the podcast we work in CRM mm-hmm. and. Um I think that you know there are a lot of similarities with what we encounter uh, to what you know you all have been encountering at the field Museum and mm-hmm. at other museums too. Um, and I'd wager agencies, you know, like some federal agencies are somewhat recession proof, but you know we've been seeing decades of austerity cuts yeah.
0: to yes.
1: everything. Yeah. And even in you know higher education, university oh, yeah. departments are just getting just absolutely slashed to mm-hmm. the bare minimum and, you know, grad students are being forced to live on just poverty wages yes. and overworked on this kind of stuff. Uh, it, this is, I think this is the moment, you know, where like workers can band together and organize and just, you know, put a foot down and demand what they deserve.
2: Yeah. yeah. I mean, the money's there, you know, and it it's like It's, it's just, especially looking at, um, higher education, looking at what some of these, you know, high up supervisors and administrators and folks make, it's, it's just sad. It's really sad.
3: Well, it's something that people forget sometimes looking at larger institutions, whether it be higher education or agencies, um, those higher levels don't necessarily have more work experience or, I mean, sometimes, um, or value. It's just a different job title. And remembering that, like, the upper administrators in their 40s don't have any more, like, life value or work value, contribution value than people who in the same age and work experience bracket with different jobs. Like, it's not, um, it's, it's just the value that society is putting on these titles. Um, and that differential value of people's livelihoods is sort of one of the things I think that people have been getting really kind of shoved in their face. This, uh, whole pandemic issue, Mm -hmm. Um, right now and just coming to terms with like wait you make like 20 times as much as i do and Mm -hmm. why yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) are you doing 20 times the work i don't think so
2: you know it's funny during uh the town hall meeting we asked about that you know like can can hire staff Take them uh, like a 20% cut. And they had said, well, you know, those people are already working 80 hours a week. So to ask them to take a pay cut, I mean, they're already taking a pay cut by working 80 hours a week. When really th- people across the museum, whether they, they have to, they love to, like they, they work so hard and they work more than what they're paid for. Like they they do. And yeah. for him to say like, well, you know, they're already taking a pay cut because they're you know, making $200,000, but they are working 70-hour weeks. So, okay, pay them hourly then. And you're like, well, <laughs> have you have you worked with
0: other, like, heritage workers? Because I feel like yeah. every archaeologist, museum worker that I've ever met is, like, consistently, like, oh, yeah. Like, when I get a 40-hour week, I'm, like, real stoked. Yeah. <laughs> when I get a normal 40-hour <laughs> week. Yeah. Like,
2: yeah. And <laughs> you know, and whether it's just like, oh, yeah, I'm doing this fun thing on the side where for the collection, I'm doing this like thing that my passion project's this, but this is what I'm actually getting paid for. Like, people put more than 40 hours a week in. And that idea that like you get paid more because you work harder is just kind of crazy to me. Like, okay, so you work 70 hours a week, but we have janitors who are like running all up and down this museum, cleaning everything. And you know, especially right now, people are in there cleaning, risking their lives, they're at the museum. Like those people aren't working hard. That's yeah. kind of a weird uh, argument to
3: make. Something tells me they're working harder. <laughs>
2: yeah. I, I cleaned offices before. That is one of the hardest jobs. And I salute the people who do it because I couldn't do it anymore. Oh
3: yeah. yeah. Anyone who's worked any sort of cleaning job, you realize people are gross. People are so
2: gross. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, got to love that argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sorry, I'm reading some of the questions.
3: That's all right. I should pull that up.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Jackie, you've answered a lot of the questions that I thought I would ask
3: <laughs> no it's great yeah.
0: how dare you be informative
2: uh, Worst are no. over. you're never welcome back
1: <laughs> No, these are the best kinds of uh, interviews to have where you know like one I don't do much talking uh, <laughs> and two like you know you're just rapid fire on on all of the the facts here um, sweet I love it. So, <laughs> yeah, it, I I guess we could unpack a little bit more of like the issue of leadership, um, their skill sets, and why they're getting paid so much. I almost feel like that could be its own show, though. It's it's like such a, a can of worms to open up. But I, I think that there's you know something that has to be learned by all of the heritage workers in any field that um, one, like you said earlier on, you have to, we all have to break the idea that we don't deserve to be paid for our mm-hmm. work or right. th- that we should have to work for free on, yeah. you know, like you, you mentioned passion projects or, you know, like I'm, I'm a salaried worker, but I work, you know, some weeks, I work like 80 hours and I'm mm-hmm. basically working a whole week for free when I do that. Yep. Um, and, uh, you know, those are the things that we have to fight. But it's also, like, the the idea that there are these, um, like, kind of, like, structures or, like, scaffolded tiers of workers that, you know, some people deserve to be paid a lot more and some don't, um, you know, that's the kind of, um, like, just divisive institutional um thing going on Mm -hmm. that's that's you know preventing us from kind of surviving and being resilient to you know what we're facing now economic crises interrelated with public health crises um there's just so much to unpack there
2: yeah and it, it feels like that the way this budget works and the way that these institution works is like all right top people. We gotta get the best people. So we're gonna pay you $600,000 an hour. And then every whatever is left in the budget, all right, that will, the departments can fight over. And like, all right, you know, that will we'll give uh, people like really low entry level wages. When really like, why don't we start at the bottom? Like everybody here makes 50K and then whatever's left can go to the people on top. You know, mm-hmm. everybody yeah. gets benefits and then whatever's left you can still have 150,000 whatever insane amount of money but let's make sure everybody's like add an okay you know position because whether you're a curator or you're somebody you know on the like the front facing where you're directly interacting with visitors or you're running the membership program or you're um, making sure all the surfaces are clean so people aren't getting sick whatever you're doing that all needs to happen in order for us to be successful. So yeah. you all should be paid a, a, the wage that you deserve. And then if you are the president, then you can have whatever's left. Like you can have the rest. <laughs> but instead of that top-down mentality of like, all right, all these people, ha- well, they have to be paid $200,000 an hour. We have to give them that much. Make sure everyone is, is taken care of. No one should be working in Chicago full-time and making, I don't know how, how much our, you know, our frontline staff makes like 15 bucks an hour, like 12 bucks an hour. No one should be making that, you know? Yeah. It's just not, it's Mm -hmm. not, we can't do it. Especially when you have tens of thousands of dollars in student loans.
3: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also one of the things I think that really, um, a lot of people are coming to realize is the importance of having savings yeah. So the the pandemic, I think, especially as things were shutting down, the reality of whether or not people had or were able to build a savings cushion for an unknown, whether it be a global pandemic,
2: which I don't think anyone ever expected. No, I didn't it, have that in my plans. <laughs> <laughs>
3: like a family medical emergency. Someone family dies, like a Birth in the family, like there's a lot of things that can come up. Mm-hmm. Some can be more anticipated than others, but having the ability to set aside a savings cushion to be able to weather a storm, whatever that may look like, is an important resource for anyone and everyone. And some of those bottom wages that you mentioned, like there's no way no. at $15 an hour, even in Portland, you can set aside savings for no. a storm. Like, as an archaeologist, one of my biggest fears as a field tech, um, making, say, 15 to $20 an hour with variable hours, one of my biggest fears was being injured. Yeah. Yep. That worried would, me when I was on I the job, too. I enjoyed things like snowboarding or hiking or rock climbing, like, I was so, like, conservative with how much risk I was yep. willing to take because there was no way I was going to be able to weather being off work for three months with a broken arm. Yep. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. once you, if you can't work, a lot of those jobs as a field tech, you don't have like benefits to be able to cover that. Yeah. You're just kind of out of work now. And I yeah. think that is pretty standard for most of those, you know, what people would call bottom-rung jobs, like the entry-level um, or, you know, yeah. contract work type stuff. Yeah,
2: and I know folks in CRM who have been like, I don't know what to do. Like, my knees are shot. Like, mm-hmm. 25 years old, my knees are shot. I don't know. I can't – I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I don't know if I can keep doing this line of work, you know. It's sad. Um, something that uh, you said that
0: really struck me was instead of going from the top to the bottom which is like the most quintessential American thing ever like this trickle down (laughs) like fantasy like fantasy and that (laughs) but this also this like simultaneously like misunderstanding of like how to allocate funds like just my boyfriend and I were talking he's an accountant and talking about it was like car loans and like mm-hmm. how you can restructure your debt to be like, to accommodate. And that looking at these institutions, like you're saying that have all this money, but where they're choosing to allocate and structure like quote unquote debt. Mm-hmm. And that if you just reallocated, like what you're doing, start from the bottom, work mm-hmm. your way up. Yeah. And like, granted, I'm an archeologist. Like, obviously I don't get math and money. Like that's why I'm an archeologist. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I I would assume that you could just by restructuring and like switching the focus, you'd be able to have uh, the same amount of money and still entice good people into higher up leadership roles. I might have to go let my cat in because he's losing his mind. Um, (laughs) um, But just like what you were saying, and then you mentioned also earlier, like none of us got a grad education on management. Or, like, f- how to budget and finance? oh like, my gosh, yeah, none of us know it. And none we just are know like, it uh, and that I think a lot of issues can be solved. And I've seen in CRM some horrible I've had friends work horrible, horrible managers mm-hmm. that, like, why are our grad degrees not teaching us this? Like why we're just because we're not business degrees, you know right?
2: Lots of issues in that one thing, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's part of it too. Like across, like all workers across the U.S., like we don't have like really robust financial skills. So I can't like be like, well, the stock market's at this, and I know your endowment's here, and if we do that, like I I have I don't have that background. I can look at the numbers and be like, this doesn't seem right, and I would like more information on it. Um, yeah. But we're not accountants. And like, if the, if our institutions are not going to be transparent with us, then we need to be given the tools Mm -hmm. to find that information. Um, Yeah, yeah, you're totally, you're totally right. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Management skills is one of those things that like, I feel very strongly for a number of reasons that, and I know you guys are all on the same, same page with this is, is Management skills should be taught as a prerequisite or an onboarding process to anyone taking on a management position. And it never or very, very rarely is. Um, yeah. Especially, I mean, even say like professors, if you're mentoring someone or at least ha- are an advisor, you should be given those skill sets yes. to be able <laughs> to do such things. And I know yes. everyone is ha- has horror stories. With at one point or another with a professor uh, mm-hmm. or their own advisor on challenges regarding those management skills. I mean, I came from a business background before I did my grad degree or my undergrad even, um, and I was in, in many ways still appalled um, by the lack of management skills in academia, Mm -hmm. And you're managing people, whether you realize it or not, you know, even, and especially as grad students, I feel like grad students who are teaching need to be given those teaching skills before, not during their first teaching classes. Yeah.
2: And that brings, so uh, one of the other things that we've been doing in our group is we are putting together a salary transparency form. So like... Getting information, crowdsourcing from our coworkers. How much money do you make? And then asking things because I was actually really surprised on our first kind of venting call, where like I had I had experienced like severe bullying at the, our you know like in my department, like or, like really like just just not a great workplace, um, like a work environment. And then doing this venting session, you know, there were folks in education that were like, you know what, you know, one of the things, like layoffs and stuff, yeah, that sucks, but like also, our department is awful. Like, Our work environment's awful. There's so much bullying. And I was, su- I was so surprised, like, wow, this happens in education, too? Yeah. And so, as part of the salary transparency survey that we're sending around, we're trying to get crowdsourced, in addition to your salary, we're asking like, well, what's the diversity like? in your, in your department and what is your department doing to ensure that your workforce is diverse. We're asking, um, what your history of raises and, um, like promotions, like what, what does that look like, uh, in, in your role? Um, and then we're asking people like, what is your work environment? Like, like, do you have, um, bullying? Is there, are there frequent issues that aren't being addressed? And it's really surprising some of the, Um, the (laughs) answers that we've gotten where people are like there are folks crying at their desks there are are managers yelling at people and you know it's one of those things where I don't know what this looks like moving forward but to know that there's bullying happening around the museum and that folks are just miserable some days it like that doesn't seem right at all like one you shouldn't be crying at your work like that's not okay like no one should be breaking you to that point you deserve to have a safe working space yeah. and like now and it's also happening across the, our departments like what what is going like what kind of training do we need and they do provide some training to managers about like sexual harassment or you know um you know other issues that folks might bring up but uh but like I I do I don't know what training they need or what, what needs to be changed, but to hear that, that that's happening across the museum is is just heartbreaking. Yeah. Well, and people
3: management skills is so different. Um, Cause I, I, I have definitely seen in a lot of different places those trainings, the, the like, this is, we're gonna try and prevent shit from totally hitting the fan. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll bring it down maybe half a step.
2: Just Uh, not public. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Exactly. (laughs) Just keep keep it internal. Internal, out of the news, out of whatever. Mm -hmm. But in order to make people, and this is part of the challenge with, I think, the idea of we have to have a big enough carrot for people at the top to want to work here is if you create an environment that people enjoy working here and you have Mm -hmm. a very low turnover and Mm -hmm. people get along and want to be here, you're going to want people at the top who want to be here because they're going to want a team who isn't trying to bite at their like toes all the time. Yep. Um, and you know, shoot arrows from the bottom up, even Mm -hmm. though it's nothing that they had to anything to do with because it was a relic of someone who was there prior. Mm -hmm. There's so many cascading effects that can be helped, if not solved, by interpersonal relationship training for the entire staff and being financially stable for the entire staff at the very lowest levels and up because there's no way people, if they're having a hard time making rent or not knowing if they're going to be able to cover their kid's doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. like their stress levels are not going to allow them to help work on their interpersonal communication skills.
2: Yeah, and my my first... Uh, position at the field was in the anthropology department so I was a collections assistant for the North American anthropology collection and um, in that role I was making $17 an hour so really pulling it in Uh, and um, but like that's all the department could afford Uh, at least the the amount of budget they were given that's how much they could offer me so uh, and I had heard you know one of the problems with that position is that there's so much turnover. And after two years, and having a raise put on the table and then taken off the table, and really, you know, kind of being told there's really no money for you to advance in this position. Really, this position is made for people to come, spend two years, and leave. That's kind of what it's for. But being there for two years, I had learned so much about the collections. I, uh, you know, one of the things that i did was i mean the majority of my job was welcoming native american community members tribal officials um, artists into the collections and showing them around and through those two years of doing that i had learned so much about the collections collaborating with a lot of these visitors um i had gained so many skills in how to in how to facilitate this type of work um and now I, I left that position in December um, and now that position is not going to be refilled. So that, you know, that, um, that turnover has affected that department hugely and um, they might not have another person in that position. Whereas if they kept, if they, if, if I had been promoted maybe and stayed, Then and maybe they could have kept that position. So I think I think one of the that that's a problem like this turnover rate is a problem and the institutional knowledge that you lose is huge. Um, You know, instead of people having to go through and research a bunch of things to get to the items that they want to look at, I could have just told them where it was uh, after those two years. So, I mean, by losing that institutional knowledge, really, you're you're starting over. You're continuously starting over with new staff, and that's so much wasted money. I mean, talk about inefficient! So much wasted money and time and effort. So, yeah, it's a huge problem. It's a huge problem in our field.
1: Yeah, not to mention it. It makes me wonder the impact to you know Native American communities, tribes, and members. Um, the impact to them in Dealing with museums and kind of having to start from square one as well in, you know, accessing collections and, and stuff like that. Absolutely
2: true. Like we, I mean, the core part of doing this outreach is establishing partnerships and um, having and it's something that we talk about in that that anthropology department is, no matter which community that we're working with, you know, if I've always worked with one community and I'm you become friends. Like I'm friends with this community. They can reach out to me and ask me questions. I can reach out to them, ask them questions. We visit each other and then that person's gone. Well, now you have, the next person just can't be like, hey, you wanna grab lunch? Like it, it takes a while, like the amount of damage that museums have done historically to indigenous communities. They rightly don't trust us and it we have to prove ourselves and we have to show that we're trustworthy and that we want to help in whatever whatever way they want to access the collection it takes a lot of legwork from us as it should yeah but by not investing in that and by and by just allowing folks to continuously turn over in collections because it's not a shiny board title or like a, a, a like a, like a president title that's a problem and that's not that's not committing to what you said you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Like if you're saying you want to reach out to communities, you have to make sure to keep those people there to do that work. And you're right. People have to start all the way over again. And it's so much extra burden and so much extra, you know, emotional work that a typo has to do that, uh, an artist has to do. And that's, it's so unfair to those people as well.
3: I'm so glad that you, that you mentioned that because that's something that, is so hard to see especially if they can't refill that position like those relationships are fairly well severed like it is really hard to rebuild those as we're saying for good reason and the more turnover the harder it is to rebuild subsequent relationships so it's like positions like yours that you were talking about those i would I wouldn't necessarily call it front-facing because it's not public public, but yeah, it's kind of, yeah. Those relationships built with communities who have a relationship with the collections. Yeah. Like, that you have to have an ongoing relationship for a number of reasons. We'll just mention the legal side of, say, NAGPRA.
1: Mm -hmm. Like,
3: all of these things are important and really should be on the top of the list of things that the museum should prioritize if they want to continue to exist.
2: Yeah, and really, it would be fantastic to see more people of color in these roles that are that are at the museum reaching out, especially um, Native people working at the museum and doing outreach. But yeah. when these open, like these positions pay so low, and it requires you to do unpaid internships to get that job it requires you to have seventy thousand dollars in student loan debt how are people supposed to break into this career if they don't have the privilege to do unpaid internships i i was extremely privileged to be able to do unpaid internships and to get into this position and um definitely am aware of of that privilege that i have and at the museum, I when I was at the uh, was in the anthropology department, my supervisor and I um, really pushed to get Native students paid internships to come in and to be paid for this work to give them as many skills as we can in that internship to make it as worthwhile as possible, and um, to not only give them that paid but also to help them network while they're there, to help help them meet folks. And we have a paid, um, I'll plug our paid internship for Native students. It's uh, the Mullins Martin Internship in Anthropology. is a paid internship that we, pri- uh, we prioritize Native students or we encourage Native students to apply. So um, if you're a student listening, please apply to that. Um, we would love to get more Native students in this field. Um, and uh, yeah. Through that, we had um, we've trained in my two years there. We trained about five native students the skills to do this. But if, if we're not paying people a living wage, it's really hard for me to tell somebody, "Yeah, enter enter the museum field." When I'm still living paycheck to paycheck, you know, um, it, it's it's really hard to encourage folks to do that. Um, when really we we do want a more diverse um, uh, work work workforce, and uh, one of our interns actually was hired on as staff. So nice. we got one we got one person hired, which I was I was very excited about. So yeah. um, a slight shift um, with
0: your you know your bargaining, your prote- your not your pres- your. Mm-hmm. Petition. God, I was like, there's lots of P words floating around (laughs) and I'm having a hard time grabbing the right one. Um, What is, like, if all things go, like, perfectly, what is your hope that, what does the Field Museum look like as COVID continues? Like, what is your dream for how it continues?
2: My, I'll say my realistic dream (laughs) because my my real dream is (laughs) probably a little too... yeah (laughs) too much of a dream but my realistic dream is for the executive team to just take a minute and to really look and say do we have to do these layoffs? they they have laid some people off last week it doesn't mean they can't bring people back on and undo that um and I just want them to really consider it like what can we do that's not layoffs. And to really consider, um, you know, if I take another 10% pay cut, I could save two jobs, three jobs, five jobs, I don't know. Uh, So it would, moving forward, it'd be nice for them to really reconsider the layoffs they have done, to reconsider the layoffs they want to do in three months, um, to reconsider the pay cut structure and to um, institute graduated pay cuts and really, really consider that a lot of folks at the bottom are living paycheck to paycheck, have incredible amounts of student loan debt, um, you know, have nothing in savings, like you were saying, uh, so doing that. Um, and I, I would love for them to be transparent with us and to trust us. Like we are your employees, we care about this institution. We wouldn't put a petition together if we didn't. We would just go find other jobs. So, like, we, we love this institution. We love interacting with visitors, um, both to the museum and to collections and, and researchers. We love our jobs. So, trust us. Share your financial information. Share why you're making layoffs and see where it goes from there. You know, like, if you can dig a little deeper in your pockets, if you can ask the board maybe for some donations, really come up with more creative solutions than just laying off people and, and you know, really show us that you value us. Because not being transparent and just laying off people and being like, well, we have a, we have a loss of admissions, you know, revenue, we don't have that that's not something that's building, you know, building trust, making people secure in their jobs. It's just, it's making, you know, it's just, it's miserable. So, um, moving forward, that'd be, you know, if you care about us, if you care about the institution, just be transparent and just, and just really try to think of other solutions.
0: Yeah. Hmm. The kitty agrees, too. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like,
0: yes, I was
1: wondering whose cat that was. That
3: was a loud, no. was a loud cat. <laughs> not even in this room is the best
2: Oh, uh, you poor thing, hearing that at 5 a.m. for feeding. Yeah, not fun. Yeah,
3: no, he doesn't do that. He'll come up and do oh, this. Oh, yeah.
2: Like... Are you awake?
3: Yeah. Are you yeah. awake? <laughs> m- Mom at
2: four a.m. M- Mom, mine will start licking and eating my hair, so I would take the yeah, the face pat would
0: be better than the hair. Instead eating. of the low key, like I'll eat you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll start here.
1: Oh man, both of my dogs weigh about like 80, 85 pounds, and they sleep in bed with me and my wife. Oh and, my god. Uh, Every morning Artie <laughs> wakes me up with like five million puppy kisses oh. and he also like sleeps next to my head. Oh. And so I wake up every morning to five million puppy kisses <laughs> and he starts like steamrolling me, no. like just rolling <laughs> until it gets to a point where I'm just like, all right, okay, Jesus, I'm up, I'll Get out of bed.
2: i you can have breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hope you have a king size bed, because we
1: recently bought one. There you go. Yeah.
2: <laughs> like this is needed.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. Our puppy is only six months old, but he will be about eighty pounds, and so he is a kennel that he sleeps in because I would like a bed, like bed space in the next six months when he gets a lot bigger. I can't, I can't. Yeah, him. sorry.
1: We made a mistake by. Uh, <laughs> Letting them sleep in the bed—it's <laughs> so
2: hard not to. They're so cute. You want cuddle with them, but yeah, they—they yeah. are bed hogs. For sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, Jackie. Uh, so I have links to the um the Action Network petition. Awesome. Uh, the paid internship for Native American students. Yes. Um, the article in the Chicago Tribune cool. and the DSA committees. Uh, so anybody listening on a podcast player, check out the show notes. The links are, uh, at the bottom of the show notes there. Mm -hmm. And where else can, uh, people find out and support you, reach out to you? Um,
2: uh, we have our, um, little crew of, uh, organizing folks have a group email account. It is fmnhworkers@gmail.com, at gmail.com, like field museum natural history workers at gmail.com. So you can email us there. Um, yeah, definitely sign the petition. Um and I just started my professional Twitter. Uh and my Twitter handle is museo nerd42. Nice. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. M-U-S-E-O, nerd42. Um, so feel free to message me. Or if you're like at a workplace or museum, if you're a CRM worker, if you're at higher ed and you just want to vent, go ahead. Send me, send me a DM, and we can vent. Or if you, if you want to uh, ask more about what it was like working with EWOC, um, uh, the, the committee put together by um, UE and DSA. Feel free to shoot me a message or uh, shoot FMNH workers a message. We're happy to answer any questions.
1: Very cool. Well, Jackie, thank you so much for joining our podcast. It was great talking with you.
2: Thank you for having me. This is this has been great. You guys rock. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'd love to stay in touch too. So you know, if we can uh, ever help out with anything, you know, signal boost. Let us know, uh, cool. and you Thank know you if you, you have any updates. You know, always welcome to come back.
2: Awesome! Thank you so much. And if you yeah. guys are in Chicago, let me know. We'll meet up at the Field Museum. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> Someday when we can like see people in person again, whenever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>